you hear me? Thank you very much for allowing me to share our country's experience. Um, so um, this is a collation of uh, several resources. And I was uh, asked by the Asia Pacific Society of Respirology to share our experiences. Okay. No disclosure. Well, um, we had painful losses and we have a lot of lessons learned. And our first victims were physicians. Um, they were treating patients uh, as regular patients with um, lung infection or heart diseases. And here, this is our anesthesiologist. He intubated a patient for surgery and without knowing that the patient had traveled and had COVID. So our index case actually was um, reported as early, uh, was diagnosed as early as January. Uh, and um, these were both uh, eventually proven to be uh, SARS-CoV positive by uh, PCR. Um, Patient one was 39-year-old female, had cough and sore throat, and uh, the hotel, uh, and, and she admitted herself to San Lazaro Hospital. Um, this was a couple, actually, uh, Chinese nationals, and the 44-year-old male had fever and cough, and both of them were admitted in the San Lazaro Hospital. Unfortunately, the 44-year-old male um, deteriorated and uh, succumbed to the disease. So these were the first two reported positive uh, COVID cases in our country. Um, and it was only after three months in March when um, our country um, became aware that uh, there had been a lot of uh, patients who were actually uh, already uh, infected with COVID. And uh, on March 15, um, the president um, um, and the, um, the Congress uh, signed a uh, Bayanihan to Heal as One Act, uh, known as Republic Act Number 11469, uh, which uh, granted the president additional authority so that uh, we can combat COVID-19 pandemic in the Philippines. And uh, uh, there was a lockdown in our uh, country and uh, necessarily the Philippines being uh, a lot of our patients, people are not that well off. Um, um, this, this Republic Act tried to also give benefits to the marginalized sector. So from March 15 to May 15, this was the initial plan by the task force uh, appointed by the president to uh, deal with the problem of the COVID pandemic. And uh, so um, travel was restricted. Uh, there was no travel outside and uh, going out and into Manila. So it left a lot of our travelers, uh, especially our OC, the overseas workers, stranded in the airport. And many of them who were supposed to leave uh, eventually were not able to leave because of no air travel. And many of them stayed in, the, in Manila for almost three months. And um, so there was a uh, lockdown of barangays and there was restriction of travel from Manila to other provinces and there were checkpoints all over the country. And so this was a community quarantine. And um, when there were patients who were reported to have some disease, 
the uh, regional, the DOH Department of Health would send their uh, field force to uh, try to look for this patient and do some swabbing. So um, um, I heard about the uh, the report of China and uh, uh, from that uh, sharing, um, a lot of our um, our companies, uh, our big halls like the World Trade Center, the uh, Rizal Arena, where uh, this is a big sports complex, and a lot of the big complexes, including the uh, PICC, were uh, turned into a uh, uh, HELAS-1 center. So these are temporary health facilities or emergency patient care centers established by the government to accommodate the COVID-19 patients. So this was basically an effort to deal with the pandemic in the country. Some facilities are also serving as quarantine sites for those who have uh, come home from other countries or come from their work where they had um, been uh, laid off because of the um, uh, tight budget in some of the countries who are also experiencing the pandemic. Since I'm from the Gupan City, it's a province in, uh, in uh, the country, uh, we uh, turned our Astrodome uh, into a community quarantine area. So basically, these uh, were centers which will um, um, cater to, do to those who had mild symptoms or those who wanted to be quarantined. So that's why we call them community quarantine um, because uh, this was like in the case of the seafarers, uh, they were left at sea, so they were, um, uh, the president um, allowed this presidential yacht and many other uh, boats were lent to the seafarers so that they can do their 14-day quarantine there. And um, so this is the uh, Kesson Institute. Um, this is where our TB patients are actually being monitored and treated, and there is a huge uh, ground there. And um, so this was eventually uh, fitted in with some um, tents uh, for community quarantine. But at that time, uh, we didn't have enough testing for, uh, for PCR. So it was just mainly symptom-based uh, admission. And um, eventually later on, when we had more capability to do PCR testing, um, one of the requirements was um, if you had PCR positive, but you didn't have uh, severe uh, symptoms, which necessitated hospitalization. So in some parts of the country, and this is in southern Luzon, this is uh, south of Manila, um, there are a lot of uh, our uh, uh, countrymen who live in this place, and there, were, there was fear of going to the hospital because they did not want to mix with the COVID uh, positive patients. So this is uh, a complex of hope, which was built in 30 days with the help of businessmen so that we can uh, uh, limit the movement of the uh, uh, patients who are under uh, investigation or suspect COVID patients from the rest of the hospital. And uh, this is one of many that are now coming up. Our problem was testing. We did not have enough. We did not have enough laboratories. Uh, we did not have enough uh, manpower. We did not have enough test kits. 
And so uh, our all overall objective before we could open up uh, the country again or uh, stop the lockdown was to achieve 30,000 tests per day by May 30. And that is why the initial uh, lockdown was from March 15 to May 30. So by May 15, um, we did not have even half of the 30,000. So this was extended up to June 15. So a lot of uh, our patients, if you will see uh, the samples up to May 27, did not even reach 20% of what we wanted to achieve. And our positivity rate did not seem to change much. Eventually, we were able to establish uh, test centers like this, but we don't have the same capability that Thailand showed in their video earlier. Some hospitals came up with their own uh, swab stations, but these were private hospitals. And in truth, uh, a lot of our uh, people cannot afford to pay for their swabs, but those, most of our swabs were done by the Department of Health. So in answer to that, um, one of our scientists, um, Dr. Raul Destura, was actually already trying to develop some low-cost uh, testing kits. And he was the one who first discovered the low-cost dengue kit. So he, now, he was now supported by our uh, government to fast-track his uh, testing of these uh, test kits that he was developing. And together, parallel with this, our, uh, my friend, uh, Dr. Abudio Balgos, a pulmonologist himself, uh, was already early on in his residency days uh, developing a um, Filipino-made ventilator because when we tried to find out how many ventilators we had in the country, we realized we only had like 1,400 at most, 1,500 for the whole Philippines. So we really lacked a lot of the ventilators that we would probably need if a lot of our patients became uh, uh, severe. So this is the relief vent. So having said that, um, we were now in quarantine. We had, uh, we tried to uh, capacitate ourselves with the test kits. We now had to identify hospitals where patients can go to without worrying about paying for their hospitalization. So we had to look for government hospitals for this. And um, we have a lung center of the Philippines in Quezon City, uh, which is really mainly for lung diseases. And we had the Philippine General Hospital, which is the, uh, under the national government. So the third um, uh, COVID hospital that was identified is the Tala uh, Hospital, which used to house our lep lepers. And so these were the three main uh, hospitals that was identified. So this is our report as of July 12. Um, we have uh, our occupancy rate uh, in all these hospitals is 47.8%. And we do have a vacancy of 10,200. So we still have beds available, but this was as of July 12th. Three days later, today, this occupancy is already 75%. For, for the last three days, we have been accumulating a lot of patients now who are entering into our hospitals. So we had to address hospital needs. We were not prepared. We didn't have the PPEs, so these were uh, our uh, pulmonary fellows uh, in the PGH. 
these are all donated by our private uh, uh, companies who are assisting us. So this is uh, the buses were provided for the health workers because in a lockdown, there was no transportation at all. Buses did not move. Our LRT stopped. There was no taxi. There was no commuter, commuting between uh, different places. So we had to provide public transportation for the nurses, the doctors, uh, med techs, everyone. And um, even hotels were um, um, helped because they had no tourists. There was no one uh, entering the hotels. So like this Sogo Hotel, it provided for 800 rooms for all the uh, health personnel, healthcare workers, so that they didn't have to travel. So I'd like to show you what Lung Center did. Um, so it is a referral center for COVID-19, specifically for moderate to severe respiratory diseases. So having said that, the mild cases are not hospitalized, if at all, they are allowed to self-quarantine at home or go to the community quarantine centers. So Lung Center had to modify their infrastructure. Um, before COVID, Lung Center had uh, the TB, MDR, TB cases, lung cancer, COPD, and uh, pneumonia. So these were chronic lung diseases. So uh, this is our medical director here. He's a pulmonologist, Dr. Balanag. So they had to get high flow nasal um, machines. So these are ventilators that were donated. These are the PPEs. And they had to provide shelter for everyone who would be working in the lung center. So they had to identify the blue and the red zone. So this is um, a daily briefing by the director. So they had to do a command structuring. So if you will see, these are uh, the uh, different committee and chairs of the different units, and they're always um, uh, physically distanced and they're all wearing masks. So this is the COVID ward. Um, th that was developed. Um, this is how it looks. So each there, it's one patient per room. And uh, if you will see, uh, they had a telemetry uh, as much as possible. Uh, they only observed uh, through this telemetry machine. And uh, even their vital signs are monitored here. For those who are severe, um, there, this was a medical intensive care unit that was developed. You will see it is um, really close. And uh, so this is how the patients are monitored. So you will see the beds there inside. And all the, all the personnel who are entering there are uh, all in complete uh, uh, PPE. We do take care of our um, healthcare workers. So. Um, here, um, these are, uh, we do baseline testing every two weeks after duty. So usually there will be three teams, like in the PGH and in Lung Center. So they will go for a, a week and then go two weeks off. So every two to three weeks, especially if they have symptoms, they have to be tested. So they're monitored symptoms um, uh, and temperature and if they do develop symptoms, and a lot of them really had uh, uh, COVID eventually. We lost a nurse in the Philippine General Hospital, in fact. 
but she had diabetes. So where are we now in the Philippines? Okay, so this is July 14. This was yesterday. So we have uh, a net of 35,483 um, uh, active cases. Um, most of them are mild, 91.4. And uh, these are the new uh, positive cases. And if you will see, the National Capital Region has the most number and uh, these are provinces where there have been increase in the number of cases. So 7.7% are asymptomatic and only 0.5% are critical. So at the Lung Center, there has really been an increase from the time that there was a lockdown. There have been increase in moderate and severe COVID cases. And uh, as of today, uh, down center is full. That is what my message was this morning. So they have, as of yesterday, already admitted uh, this number and they have recovered. If you will see um, the COVID positive, uh, these are more of the moderate and severe. They have only one mild. And uh, from the probable, they have the moderate and severe. So this is really for moderate and severe cases. So every day we have this data released from our Department of Health. So here, these are the number of cases. So if like yesterday, we had 57,000 on, uh, this is a moving average. So we had our lockdown until May 15 initially. So you will see there were not many cases that were seen. But once we started to relax on June and June 15, then there was really a rise in our cases because uh, people now were able to go to work, uh, transportation was allowed, uh, some businesses were opened, and uh, air travel was already allowed. And um, however we learned our lesson, we were able to have uh, recoveries and our death rate was going down. So yesterday, zero deaths. Today, we have 11 deaths. And what was painful in the first month or two months of our experience with COVID, eventually we were able to find how we will manage our cases. And so uh, right now, our concern is, I think we should do what China did. We have to also segregate our symptomatic. So we see that mild and asymptomatic cases are in the hospitals they burden our uh, hospitals. So we're looking at um, going down to the local government units so that we can have more We Heal As One centers. Uh, so in our province, we had one, but eventually the nurses and the healthcare workers resigned because of fear of the COVID. So we do have more than 70,000 beds supposed to be for a community quarantine, but they are not utilized. So we have mega LIGTAS facilities, but it is only 38%. So yesterday, um, the um, task force of the country uh, ordered a house-to-house -house, um, checking of, the, of uh, the barangays to find out if there are patients who are not uh, doing quarantine. So finally, let's go, go to the treatment. We started... Um, trying to find an oh, um, algorithm for our Filipino patients. And as of March 29, and this is still the same up to today, we qual qual 
classify their patients as mild, moderate, and severe. And so this is our um, uh, algorithm. So only the moderate and the severe are admitted. And at that time, for want of anything to give, we were looking at hydrochloroquine. We did not have enough of the lupinavir, and we did not have remdesivir only recently when we became part of the um, solidarity trial. So a lot of our patients were given hydrochloroquine. So this is the um, clinical and diagnostic criteria at the lung center. So they um, uh, do clinical and diagnostic criteria. As I mentioned, we did not have PCR tests available for all our patients. So look at the uh, clinical profile. If they have respiratory failure, then uh, they start uh, having this test. All of our patients are done. Uh, we do CDC, ferritin, CRP, LDH, and a lipid panel. So at the Philippine General Hospitals, um, we had several wards and uh, we also included the pay floors in the uh, uh, COVID uh, ward. So we cohorted the beds and admitted mostly COVID confirmed moderate to severe and critical cases. So a lot of donations came for PPEs, um, but we had to downsize our staff and um, we had to centralize COVID resources. We assume 30% of the admitted cases will deteriorate and need an ICU. One thing that uh, was noted by our Philippine General Hospital physicians, anticoagulation was important. So before um, we used to do the ICU care and uh, only do prophylaxis uh, when we prove that it is a uh, thromboembolism. But now, if the patient is severe and critically ill uh, and you have a PADUA score of more than four, four and uh, patients are at rest, we give 40 milligrams uh, enoxaparin subcutaneously. So in all uh, COVID hospitals, proning was uh, uh, done for moderate or severe ARDS uh, with a PF ratio of less than 150. And uh, we did also conventional uh, ventilator with PEEP, but we, uh, we mainly recommended APRV. So we do ABGs, and then we wanted to watch out for arrhythmia. And of course, in proning, the, the, the uh, tube had to be uh, carefully watched. So at the lung center, they have hemoperfusion and many other hospitals, including the Philippine General Hospital. So these are the patient criteria for uh, hemoperfusion when the vital signs become unstable and the PF ratio is less than 300. And if, especially if you see multilobar or diffuse infiltrates. Plus, and this is now part of the uh, diagnostic criteria for patients with severe COVID, ferritin, more than 1,000, and increasing LDH, plus lymphopenia. So these are the exclusion criteria post-arrest, decompensated liver cirrhosis, coronary artery disease, CVA, and a GCS of less than eight. Um, convalescent plasma uh, um, is now being uh, recommended. A lot of our physicians had to undergo convalescent plasma uh, treatment. As long as you are more than 18 years of age and you had severe disease, following this criteria with lung infiltrates more than 
within the 48 hours after your admission. And you are in respiratory failure, you have multi-organ uh, dysfunction, septic shock. So basically, this, is, this happens, the uh, crashing of a patient occurs within three weeks from the onset of symptoms. So this is a physician who um, donated the plasma. And uh, so these are extracted and the convalescent plasma contains antibodies which can neutralize the virus and be transfused to severely ill COVID-19 patients so that we can help their condition. There are also exclusion criteria. So if you're a known case of IgA deficiency, if you have been, uh, if you have just recently received immunoglobulin in the past 30 days, allergic reaction, and some uh, medical conditions like decompensated heart failure, and if the patient is uh, deemed not to be responding to this, and of course, pregnancy. So one thing about the lung center is it is able to do ECMO. So these are the indications, hypoxic respiratory failure with high risk of mortality, your CO2 is not improving, patient on lung transplantation list, and of course, immediate reversal after pulmonary arrest. So the contraindication, if the patient has been on mechanical ventilator support with high settings, there is severe immunosuppression or there's hemorrhage and the patient is terminally ill or in advanced age. So um, this is so far the number of uh, patients who had been given hydrochloroquine. Which, as I mentioned, this was our first treatment. And then recently we have been able to uh, give remdesivir. It is part of the solidarity trial. We used dexamethasone early, convalescent plasma, and 60 had undergone done hemoperfusion with one who went onto ECMO. And that patient survived. At the Philippine General Hospital, um, sorry, um, these are our learnings. First, do no harm. So early on uh, in March, our dictum was early intubation. We no longer do that. Okay? We managed as a team. We handle logistics. We have to know that we have the equipment, we have ventilators, and then we appraise uh, our frontliners. We share all our experiences and we strategize. So we innovate and then uh, we teach all of this to our healthcare workers so that nationwide, whatever is happening in our COVID hospitals is spread out to all the pulmonologists in the nation. And we collaborate and coordinate. So as evidence emerge, we do critical appraisal and we check applicability to our local situation. At the moment, we have a problem with Region 7 that is in Cebu. Because as our um, health, uh, as our overseas workers are able now to go home in the provinces, a lot of them have actually contracted the COVID uh, disease when they were uh, overseas. And so now they are um, at home and they have started community transmission. And one thing, we have to be patient. So what is the new normal now? And I think... I learned a lot from the presentation um, so far. We need to do mandatory check now in every establishment we enter. We need to register even if it's just going to a restaurant or a mall. We need to social distance and if possible, do a test. Clinics of doctors have to be protected. We put acrylic shields and we do triaging of patients and 
if you will see, the waiting rooms are all now with physical distancing. Uh, to date, um, there is now PCR testing for the public. Um, this is the Philippine General Hospital, and hopefully by August, anyone who wants to have a test can now have it. So we will probably have more diagnosis and more ways of controlling the spread of the disease. And of course, mandatory face mask. So this is very important, sharing through telemedicine. And this is, and I agree with the uh, uh, introduction. We need to uh, do virtual also. We help each other. As um, a past president of the College of Chess Physicians, we do come out with our advisory and our algorithms. And we do uh, come up with guidelines for our uh, uh, general practitioners, all those who are taking care of the COVID. So thank you. Uh, thank you, Professor V, for your excellent presentation. Um, any question from the audience? Um, it's about the uh, increase, the continuous increase, uh, the COVID-19 cases in Philippines. Um, um, how about your opinion or, or you have the data about the, the possibility of developing herd immunity in your country? Um, I don't think we have herd immunity yet. I don't think we can say that. Um. About the uh, experience in uh, hemoperfusions, um. um, we have that's we have more successes with the hemoperfusion. But what we have learned is um, sometimes you do hemoperfusion when the patient is already septic or um, with a lot of uh, multiple organ failure. And um, a lot of our patients and physicians who have actually succumbed to the disease had uh, comorbid conditions. Many of them were diabetics, hypertensive. But not all were uh, seniors. Many were young. We had uh, the, one of the first mortalities was a young fellow who took care of a uh, COVID pneumonia patient. So um, we do still use it, uh, but not all hospitals have hemoperfusion, only the big centers. Outside of Metro Manila, uh, Cebu is the only other uh, province with hemoperfusion. Okay, thank you very much.